I want to take just a few moments to thank Reverend Dr. Tom Toole for preaching at San Marino Community Church over the past month on three successive Sundays. He and Reverend Jessica Von Lower worked together on a series within the series, preaching texts in Romans in a creative way together. Their work allowed me to play and to vacation for a few weeks. So thanks to both of them, and thanks also to our great worship team here at San Marino Community Church, Reverend Jan Cook, Reverend Becca Bateman, Bong Bringus, our musicians and tech people. I thoroughly enjoyed the adventure of a road trip across the country with my wife, Lynn, and the time we had with our family. I also want to take a moment to acknowledge that today is our 40th wedding anniversary. We had plans to celebrate in a bigger way than we'll be able to under the current restrictions and conditions. But like most of the celebrations this year, we're postponing until we can gather physically again with all of our family. However, 40 years together is a milestone and a remarkable blessing. So I want to say thank you, Lynn, for saying yes and for spending your life with me. It's the smartest thing I ever did. Our text of scripture this morning comes from Romans, the 10th chapter, as we continue in our series over the course of the summer. And I invite you to listen now for God's word. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? And so, gracious God, we come to this time to hear a word from you. We ask that you would speak to us as only you can. Quiet within us any voice but your own. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. These dog days of summer have been hot, disappointing, even discouraging. News that schools will not reopen, college football and fall sports are canceled or at least limited, and fires are threatening homes and people's lives throughout California. It all adds to the difficulties and the discouragement of this pandemic and unrest in the country and throughout the world. How long, O Lord, will all of this last? We need some good news. You may be familiar with the John Krasinski's program on YouTube in the spring that was entitled Some Good News. You ought to check it out if you haven't already. It is so creative and fun. 
He embodied the line in our text today that I just read, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In eight episodes, Krasinski focused exclusively on the good news, and he had over 71 million views. There was a Hamilton performance and online graduations, a virtual prom, and even a wedding with the cast from The Office. He then sold some good news to CBS after only eight episodes and a bidding war. Now, I can understand. I mean, allegedly, it will come back in some form, but as a preacher who's expected to bring the good news 52 weeks a year and five times on Christmas Eve, I know it's hard to sustain the effort. The appetite for good news these days is tremendous. Here during the dog days of August, is there any good news? Today, we continue our summer series on Romans. Last week, Reverend Jan Cook preached on the first portion of this passage. And I've wrestled with what to say this morning. I mean, what more can be said about Romans chapter 10? The text comes in the middle of one of Paul's headiest theological discourses in which he wrestles with the question of God's lordship and the future of Israel's place in God's gracious plan. There are no soaring hymns buried in the text. There's no Pauline ascription of praise to stir the soul of its late summer pandemic stupor. This selection is weighty, reasoned. It's a disputation that the preacher and the listener need to think their way through. And in the heat of summer, I mean, why bother? The author's digressing in the midst of another digression in his argument. He quotes from Leviticus and from Deuteronomy. Why focus on this passage today rather than some other selection that something more sensational, lights, camera, action kind of quality Because this is the stuff of the gospel. At the core of this text lies the existential question, what must we do to be saved? And how can things be put right? What is God up to? This is the same question plaguing the woman in the weekly Bible study whose husband never comes to church. It's the question disturbing the grandparents when their children decide to have grandchildren, to not have grandchildren baptized. It's the unformed question murmuring in the heart of the heartbroken parents who drive to the state prison to visit their son. It's the question rippling through the church board's debate about gay marriage. It's the question weighing down the woman who lies in a hospice bed waiting to die. What must we do to be saved? It's the question that's also rippling through the church in Rome and confounding the Jewish and Gentile Christians to whom Paul addresses this letter. Now in a congregation such as ours, the question of what one must do to put things right in the eyes of God hits close to home. 
I mean, perhaps there are differing answers to this question circulating among the believers in Rome. So Paul joins the debate. What must we do to put things right with God? Israel's answer to this, says Paul, had been to seek to establish their own righteousness through their efforts to fulfill the law. And with the best of intentions, they had set out to win God's favor by doing everything the law required, hoping thus to become righteous before God. They'd done this because Moses had taught in Leviticus 18.5 that the person who keeps the statutes and ordinances of the law shall live. That is, by really trying really hard, one could keep all the commandments, and then God would be satisfied, and the person would be saved. You know, it reminds me of a passage from the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, which Franklin writes of a bold and audacious project he undertook at one point in his life. And the goal of this project was arriving at moral perfection that he might live without any moral fault at any time and conquer all that the natural inclinations might lead him into. He devised a system by which he would increase in virtue after first identifying 13 fundamental virtues. He drew up a notebook. And on each page, he plotted a grid with the 13 virtues across the top of the page and the days of the week going down the left side of the page. His plan was to concentrate on one virtue per week, taking time every evening to mark with a line every time he had failed to practice that particular virtue. Working this way, he would move through four courses of the virtues in a year. And he hoped that by clearing the lines of spots, he would have clean pages and prove himself a man of virtue. However, after several years of practicing this project, Franklin reflected, quote, I was surprised to find myself so much fuller of faults than I had imagined, end quote. He admitted in later years that he had never arrived at perfection and had fallen short of his goal. Franklin had tried and failed to become righteous, just as Israel had tried and failed. And how many of us are trying our very best at self-improvement programs, but are discovering, like Benjamin Franklin, that we too are falling short? Thank God there's a way out. I mean, I know of people during this pandemic, pandemic that are teaching themselves to play a new instrument or learning a new language. I marvel at those kind of people with that sort of ambition. But I also know people whose goal it is simply to take a shower today and get dressed in something other than sweats. If it's impossible to do these things as Moses instructed, then who shall be saved? How indeed shall things be put right with God? How does one become righteous in the sight of the Holy One? Well, in the 10th chapter of Romans, Paul tells us another way. The righteousness that comes from the law pointed Israel in the wrong direction, says Paul. And in striving to make the grade, 
Israel had looked for salvation in its own efforts. And in so doing, Israel had gotten all turned around. They'd missed the right way to put things right with God. What must we do to be saved? We need to look no further than our lips and our hearts. For in Jesus Christ, salvation has come very near. How can we be made right and be reconciled to God and one another? Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Paul could not answer any more plainly. And the answer to the question is simple. One is justified by believing with the heart. One is saved by confessing with the mouth. No commandment calisthenics, says Paul. Simply this. Simple. Yet not to be confused with easy. For the confession Jesus is Lord flew in the face of Caesar, who preferred his own version of a loyalty confession. To declare Jesus is Lord is to put him above all earthly lords, who themselves can be quite jealous. As with the authors of the Barman Declaration, written during the reign of Hitler, knew quite well. To confess with the heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, to believe in such a way as to put all one's trust in that God, may be a straightforward thing to do, but it is not an easy thing to do. Over the past several weeks, in conversation with a number of people, I've become aware of how difficult this prolonged pandemic is for so many. There's a young mother whose husband berates her for not contributing to their economic needs of the family. And at the same time, her mother's drinking again and has lost her job and is not paying her bills. And now... She's at home with her three kids to homeschool for who knows how much longer. Or how about the young single woman working from home as an educator? She has a great job. She loves it. But she deals every day with crushing loneliness all day long by herself, every meal, every night alone. And on top of her loneliness, she's worried about her father who has dementia and the family cannot even visit him in the nursing home. Or there's the couple with four children whose marriage is just disintegrating. They're still both living in the same house because they can't afford to have one of them move out. The car was repossessed recently and the whole neighborhood is watching a family fall apart. Then there's the man who's worried about his increased drinking during this pandemic. Home all the time. It's easy to overdo it and drink seven days a week. And he's not alone. Alcohol sales are up 55% by some measures throughout the country. Paul knows that the righteousness of God is the answer to the human dilemma. It's true for the Romans. It's true for us. And we do not have to be righteous in order to believe. We believe in order to be righteous. John Calvin put it this way, sufficient then for pacifying minds and for rendering certain our salvation is the word of the gospel in which we are not commanded to earn righteousness by works, but to embrace it when offered gratuitously by faith. 
not commanded to earn it, but to embrace it when it's offered gratuitously, generously by faith. This is God's PPP plan. And it's for those who can never do enough for God. It's also for those who claim that others are not doing enough. God's PPP plan. For those who berate themselves for not being good enough. And for those who disdain others for not measuring up. It's for those who wonder about the salvation of those whom they love And it's for those who would withhold salvation from those whom they are unable to love. And it's for those who come to the end of their lives and worry about their future. And for those who go through their lives never giving a thought about their futures. God's PPP plan is for all of us. Reverend Dr. Tom Toole mentioned it a few weeks ago. And the righteousness of God It provides pardon for the past, power in the present, and promise for our future. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This right-wising, this straightening of our lives is available to everyone as close as your own lips and heart. You don't have to go to church to claim it. You can claim it right where you are, just as you are. So let Christ change your life rather than trying to become virtuous on your own. Let the Lord of heaven and earth into your life and he will provide pardon for your past, power in the present, promise for your future. No longer will you have to hold on so tightly that you choke the life right out of yourself. This week, if you've watched any of the Democratic Convention, We've heard stirring speeches about the soul of America. Well, if the problems we're facing as a nation are rooted in the diseases of our collective souls, then pastors are essential workers. And the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is vital for addressing the problems we face as a nation. Paul would agree that the church is essential for the soul of this nation. We need what God alone provides. Pardon for our past, like the legacy of slavery. Power in the present for the transformation of our society, where there's no distinction. The same Lord is Lord of all, is generous to all who call on him. And finally, promise for our future. When we can once again believe the best is yet to come. There is good news today from Romans chapter 10 after all. Faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the word of Christ. So let's not miss God's PPP plan for our souls. Thanks be to God. Amen.